up, everybody? This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org, and this is your host, Dave Stovall. Today's episode features the one and the only Anthony Walker. Matt Dabbs had the chance to catch up with him and discuss how discipline language and behavioral shifts can impact your ministry. They also talk about how people can adopt simple habits to enact discipleship more effectively, and they underscore the importance of consistently following and learning from Christ. I think this is a fantastic episode, and you're going to enjoy every single second of it. Let's not waste any time. Let's jump in and hear from Anthony Walker and Matt Dabbs. Here we go. All right, everybody. This is Matt Dabbs with Discipleship.org, and I'm here with Anthony Walker, and uh, excited to have him on the show. Uh, He's the uh, minister at the Highway 231 Church of Christ in Murfreesboro. He's been there 17 years. And he uh, spoke at the city tour this fall and uh, did a phenomenal job talking about discipling men. I'm excited to hear what he's going to say. And uh, we're going to start off talking a bit about discipling language and kind of how he's learned some things and that really clarified some, some stuff for him with his ministries. Talk to us about that, Anthony. Yeah. You know, in my, um, in my upbringing and coming up in ministry, the main thing was making Christians. We just had to go out and make Christians, go out and Make Christians was what the the mantra was when actually the scripture tells us to go make disciples. And so with that mindset, I, I was on fire and, and still am to a degree, but I was on fire about uh, baptizing folk, get them in the water. That was it. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing a, a, a sermon years ago, several years ago, that emphasized the Great Commission. And, and it, it taught it in a way that really shifted the paradigm of my ministry. We are to go make disciples. That's primary, right? Every other verb, every other thing that hangs off that verse, it hangs off of making disciples, even baptizing them. And then you look at John chapter one, or John chapter four, rather, where verse one, where it says that the Pharisees were angered with Jesus because he made and baptized more disciples than they although he didn't baptize them himself. So there's that same thing happening again, make disciples and baptize them, make disciples, baptize them. Mm. And so, man, that was a major shift. And so then the language changes to, yeah, we're, we're, we're wanting to baptize folk. We're wanting to make Christians, but we've got to put a grand emphasis on disciple making as the scripture said. And once that happened, man, everything else, as they say, the, the paradigm shifted. Man, that's so good. You know, that was something that hit me a few years back. You know, it's like, okay, Christian three times, disciple 297 or whatever it is, 229, 280. And then it was yeah. like, and you go look at, you know, if you, if you Bible gateway it, it's like Christian seven times, but four, four are headings, like right, rules for Christian right. household. You know, it's like not, not in the text. And then, and then the three that are there, it's like pejorative almost like in, in Paul's trial, you know, you're going to persuade me to be a Christian mm-hmm. or, you know, they were called Christians or, yeah. you know, if, if you get questioned, what is it? Is it in first Peter? Or he, he talks about suffering as a Christian, suffering as a, which also has a, as an, I don't say a negative right. connotation, but it's like mm-hmm. people are calling them that and it's not good. I mean, in a, mm-hmm. in a sense, you know what I mean? Like, right. I'm not saying it's a bad word. I'm just saying originally it was like. That wasn't, yeah, it wasn't what we think, what we use it like. The context is different. Yeah. 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 So tell us more about that. Like, what did that do for your ministry? So 
with that emphasis now on discipling and, and disciple making, discipleship, being a being a disciple, there's a there's a phrase that I use in my teaching. A disciple learns to follow, follows to learn, but never arrives. Okay. So the the point about what discipling is, if you know the early Jewish, early Hebrew culture, it was based on apprenticeship. There was a lot of that that took place. There was, that was just a way of life. You were an apprentice or you were a disciple of those that taught you and that just kind of follows through. So the, the essence of being a disciple, number one, is learning to follow. Like I, I need to learn to follow teaching, follow word, follow instruction. I've got to learn to do that. And the only way to really do it is just by being obedient and just, okay, I'll just do it. I'll, I'll just follow. I'll just go. Okay. So I have to learn that. I have to learn that, hey, I, I think this is a better, no, no, no. I got to follow. I got to follow. You know, well, I have an idea. Nope. I've got to follow. I've got to learn to do that. Number one. Number two, now I recognize that in following, especially in following Christ, I'm learning as I follow. So as you follow him, you're learning more about, okay, how do you, how do you love your enemy? You, you told us to do it and I want to do it, but how do I do that? And I only get that by following him and seeing how he interacted. How do you deal with life when you're frustrated, okay? When, when you're followed by those who are pestering you, when you're pestering you, when you're, you know, how do you do that? So a disciple learns to follow, but then a disciple follows to learn. And that's where you see that pivotal point with Peter when Jesus introduces some hard teaching in John chapter six. And the text says that many of the disciples left after that. And then Jesus says to his disciples, oh, well, are you guys going to? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So now Peter said, I can't get it anywhere but from you. So now I follow to learn. But then that last point, I'll never arrive. I'll never get to a space where I say, hey, I've got it. And Paul demonstrates that, that even you know, even in the latter years of his life, he's almost ready to die himself. He writes to the church at Philippi. He says, I want to know him. Paul, you've written half the New Testament. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know that. So I'll never get to a space. Same guy, Paul. I'll never say that I have attained it yet. I, I'm, I'm still searching. So that that's level one for me that kind of gets me to, wow, that helps me. And so then I began to look at my life and see, wait, now, how was this? How did this impact my life in terms of those who discipled me? And it was a, man, it was a shift, man. I'm reminded, you know, you think about even the apostle Paul there in, in Philippians, he says, you know, I want to know Christ. Like, I want to know him so badly. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And, you know, I haven't obtained all this. Like I'm pressing on, you know, mm -hmm. and this is Paul, like this is Damascus road, Paul who encountered Jesus. And then like N.T. Wright said, he wrote this really interesting article, this, this little, this big black tome of like a Pauline perspectives or something. It's like a, like articles for these certain years. If you look, find that book that has like this year to this year articles in a hardback. And he writes this article about Galatians and he says, he says, Paul 
said, I went to Arabia to get the gospel, right? I didn't get it from the apostles. I've made this trek to Arabia. And then in chapter five, he's talking about Hagar. And he says, he says, I'm talking about Sinai, which is in Arabia. Just two, two, three chapters later, he's like, N.T. Wright was like, wait a minute, Sinai in Arabia. I went to Arabia. Did he go to Sinai? And he got like the divine upload, like Moses and Elijah, <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like, did he, did he get like, like divine? He said, you know, also I know a man who went up in the heavens, like mm-hmm. he had, he had some knowledge, like sure. he had experience. He, and he was, a, he was not perfectly obedient, but like right. he was living, like he was getting stoned and beaten. Like he was walking and learning, but he still, like you said, he, he knew he hadn't arrived, you know? Right. After all right. that. Wow. Wow. And of all of us who might say somebody has arrived, we would probably say, Paul, I think you, I think you pretty much got it. Oops. Very close. Yeah. Now, how are we going to be prideful, arrogant? You know? It's right. Like, right. Man, yeah. Yeah. Man, be humble, humble, humble. I love it. And I love that you're saying too, the, um, you know, you're learning to follow, to follow, to learn. And, and we see that like in, in uh, discipleship where someone's been challenged, like, like discovery Bible study, you make your, I will statement, and then you go and do it and you come back the next week. And you, at first I thought, well, is reviewing the, I will like, like a heavy accountability, like, cause I'm used to like guilty accountability, you know, where it's like, mm-hmm. well, you didn't do what you're supposed to do. And what I learned was like, no, when you come back and review, like we learned last week that Jesus said this and I committed to do this. And then when I did it, and then I watched God do this and this, mm-hmm. this relationship and it started to change. And you're like, no, like the obedience review is a testimony to how God works when you obey him. Yes. And I, I grew up with like legalistic obedience. And this is like, mm-hmm. man, this is beautiful obedience. Like, wow, this is so good. We came, we came up in the same kind of, you know, legalistic obedience uh, lane. I, I get that. I, I relate to that, that, that it's just, and, and that's, again, that's a part of what had to shift in my life to understand, you know, this, you know, we had our five steps. We had our do this, do this, do this, and be baptized. And now you go when really, no, this is a discipleship journey that I am, have been blessed to walk in the middle of. Like I, I just came in on the scene but even now, it, it also helped me to understand that I don't have to be an expert or, or perfect in this because I'm on the journey while I'm discipling someone else. And that was, you know, I, I told this story of my life. I, 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 my father passed away when I was two. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my life begins, you know, without my dad and um, my mom, she doesn't remarry till later on. I'm about 10 or, or, or 12 when she remarries. But I was with my grandmother those first few years of life. And she's just instilling in me the faith that she has. I almost have that kind of Timothy story. And my mom has given me what she has. Like that, that was what I, what I got. But one of the very people that my grandmother you know, she would pull me around was a guy named Charles Beeman. Okay. And he was a this great preacher in Columbia, Tennessee. And, and I used to love to hear him preach. Well, when I moved to Nashville uh, and I'm now with my mom and my other grandmother, this Sunday is coming up and my other grandmother is saying, yeah, you know, the church that they were attending in Nashville, we're getting ready to get a new preacher. So, oh, wow. Okay. But when I go to worship that Sunday, the new minister that's being installed there is Charles Beeman. 
the very guy that I've heard since I was five or six years old in Columbia. So now God has placed him in the next chapter of my life. And he, to this day, is a spiritual father to me. I mean, he, he took me under his wing. He's the one that, you know, he, he says to me, he says, Anthony, you've got all these gifts. He said, you know the word, you know, you just need to obey it. And so I'm baptized at nine and I'm leading songs at nine. And I tell him I'm on fire. And I'm like, man, I want to preach. You know, I think I can do this. I can tell kids my age you know, because we would go to these youth days and there'd be an old guy preaching to the kids. I'm like, I can do what he does. And I, and he's the one that encourages me and teaches me at 11. Go ahead. You know, so I've got that right. And so I'm fast forwarding the tape because of all that he's done and he does for me is it taught me in leadership, taught me to, to be a reader and how to study. So then I get to the point, this is years later, I'm about 24. Highway 231 calls, and um, I get ready to take on the work there. And the last sermon that Brother Beeman preached while I was there at 40th, he was preaching it to the church, obviously, but I, you could tell it, this is to you, right? And one of the lines in that is, hey, Anthony, you know, what I've done for you, you need to do for someone else. And I felt so overwhelmed because I'm thinking, man, I've got to make this kind of time. I've got to do this for somebody. That, that's, it's impossible. Like I couldn't, okay, it, it's out of my mind. I'm going to go be a good preacher. So a couple of years into my ministry at 231, a family comes and there's this little boy that they bring, little Chris. And he was about five then. And man, I, you know, I'd give him five at the church or whatnot. So one Sunday I'm up preaching and I was using him as an illustration. I said, come on up here, Chris. And, and I used him for an illustration. And instead of going back to his seat with his parents, he sat next to where I would sit on the first row. And so, you know, I get done and his mom is having a panic attack out there because she's like, oh, don't mess with the preacher. You know, you come on back here. And I'm like, he, he's fine. You know, and he sat there the next Sunday. He sits there at the beginning of worship. And he sat there for years, right? He's right next to me as I'm worshiping, as I'm. And then I notice, you know, as he's getting older, you know, he's inviting me to his kid birthday parties. I'm in a birthday party. There's several pictures out there of me, hopefully not too many on social media. But here I am at a child's, you know, party and I'm with everybody else. You know, I've got on the funny hats. I've got on the because. I was his guest, you know, and it would be so funny, but, you know, and again, you know, so I'm, I would do little things with him. I, I'm getting to my point, but I would do little things with him. We would race in his yard and, and I would beat him and, and all the parents said, why would you do that? He's just 10. I said, no, I said, if he ever, you know, beats me, he's going to be really fast. I'm, you know, joking around. Here's where it all hits me during COVID. We had a graduation ceremony because there was a group of kids that, you know, that they didn't get to graduate like everybody else. You know, everything was shut down. So we held a graduation ceremony for our seniors. And Chris was in that graduating class. And so Chris gets up to speak. And one of the people that he thanked was me. And one of the things he mentioned in that was I learned that. I can do, you know, whatever with hard work. I learned all of that. 
from Mr. Anthony. You know, he tells the story of me beating him as a kid, but that created in him this drive to work hard, to excel. But he also mentioned about his faith. You know, he leads songs in worship. He does this. And that's when God reveals to me, you've been doing what I've called you to do. And it, now I see, you know, it's one of those now I know moments like, oh, okay. But it was in that revelation now and also mixed in with me understanding, you know, this new discipling and the, the language of discipleship that now I'm intentional. It's not that everybody's going to be the next Chris. No, they're going to be the next disciple. And it's a good friend of mine, John Magnuson. He shares it like this. Discipleship is, is not about adding something to your calendar. Hey, I, 2.30 to 3.30, we need to disciple. No, but rather it's adding someone to your calendar that's already existing. You know, it's if you're going to lunch, hey, go grab Chris and take him with you. You know, if you're doing this, that's the go and make disciples. And you know this, that's more of an as you go, right? Mm -hmm. And so, man, it, that's where I'm saying that the, the paradigm shifted, uh, but it helped me to then uh, help to shift that in others. You know, Chris being younger, mm -hmm. well, A, I think that God opened Chris's heart to show that to you. Chris, almost God used Chris to invite you into that, the way he initiated, the way he pressed, the way he came down and said, like, yeah. man, like that's, I guess that's the Holy Spirit, you know, working through him. So how is that with older members, older mm -hmm. Christian disciples who, right. you know, don't, don't know that language you're right. trying to so, them? So one of the things that, you know, I, I spoke at, at the city tour, you know, deals with discipling men. And it, it's one of those concepts. There's a term in scripture, babe, you know, a babe in Christ. And, and what that helped me to understand is that like toddlers, toddlers are, are unique as, as, as babies because they're tall enough and mobile enough to get into things. But at the same time, they're tall enough and mobile enough to get into things that they don't fully understand. And so just because I'm tall enough to reach this doesn't mean I understand it. Doesn't mean that I, I, I still can't be harmed by it. Doesn't mean. So that's how you can have a dynamic of someone being mobile and cognizant, but still not understanding. The same concept happens in our faith. You can have a person who's a fully grown adult that, that has a, you know, 40 hour a week job and pays a mortgage and family, but still be a babe in their understanding biblically, a babe in walking and following Christ, being obedient. So through our men's ministry, it presented me an opportunity. And again, I started at, at 231, I was 24. And, you know, most of the men, they're older than me. Most of the men are, you know, and, and I'll tell, share this too. I was single. So I have no wife, have no kids. You know, I'm, I'm living in an apartment at the time. These guys have a job and families. So it's the whole age and life experience dynamic. But one thing that I had, you know, experienced is what it means to trust and follow Jesus. Right. And really walk it out. So I'm not an expert, but I, I at least know the path. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, our men's ministry 
gave me an opportunity to share those kinds of things with men that hopefully helped them to see, wow, th this is different to, 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 to walk like Jesus told me to walk. I get it, you know, logic and business and in the marketplace, but man, really being intentional about being a disciple, that's something interesting. So that kind of opened the doors. And, and one of the things I'm men's ministry does at 231, as well as it gives men a space to be able to learn. Let me share this real quickly. <laughs> men, we're in a position just by being an adult man, you're in a position where competence is expected. Like the fact that you're just a man means that you should know how to do. And so many times we don't know how to do but we live in a world that is based on our competence. And if you're incompetent, you're not useful. So that creates a, you know, a law, as Paul would say, you know, it's a problem that I'm supposed to know, I don't know. And the fact that I don't know creates difficulty. So it's very rare that we will say as men, you know, hey, I don't know how to do this. You know, we'll try to find a way to, so, what you have to do sometimes with men is create some avenues and environments where learning is not so lecture. And, and that's what I learned from Jesus, right? We don't find too many uh, sermon style, lecture style teaching sessions of Jesus, but we find it's replete with, hey, look at this tree over here. Okay. See how it's not bearing any fruit. And here's a lesson. Let me pray over this young boy's sack lunch and, and, and leave you men with fragments after 5,000 men and children have eaten and we still got fragments. They're, they, they're, they're physically and spiritually eating these fragments. Wow. They're learning. Okay. So sometimes it can get difficult with adults because they look at it on a different plane. But when you walk it in the word, Christ and, and, and the Holy Spirit will help you to create those avenues. Yes. That's so good. You know, it's funny because amongst men, like even a conversation like this, you know, you say something and the male testosterone temptation and the competency demonstration is for, in my flesh, is for me to one up what you say. Hey, here's another verse. Hey, did you know that? Yeah. I, I, okay, let me tie these all verses. N.T. Wright said, I said a minute ago, it's like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's in, our, in our bones and it's mm -hmm. not healthy. And, and so I feel like in church, we try to demonstrate competency through either like I'm a Bible class teacher, I'm able to fill in preach. Um, in class, I make really insightful comments. I, I can quote scripture, but I may not be following Jesus. Like we have those not well. You know, we have those people who've been Christians for 60 years sometimes and they, and it's like not healthy. Like you just, this is like a, like a bad vibe, like, cause it, it, and I think it goes back, like, you know, that their attitude's bad, you know, that they're negative all the time. They're critical all the time. It's like, yeah, you know, a lot of scripture, you have competency in your knowledge of the word, but you don't have competency in walking like Jesus walked. Mm -hmm. Right. And so. I think it goes back to what Curtis Sargent talks about the three legs of the stool of Christian maturity. It's like, you need to grow in knowledge. That's what they've done. But you also need to grow in obedience slash faithfulness 
and you need it, which is walking with Jesus and you need to grow in your ability to share the good news mm-hmm. positively, encouraging. It's good. So, you know, some people haven't got the message to be happy. They know a lot of Bible, but man, they're miserable. And, you know, it feels, I, I think maybe there's a, sh- like, I, I really appreciate you bringing up the competency issue among men and to help mm-hmm. shift that conversation to, you know, what does Christian competency, what should it really look like? And I think, you know, it's like that answer in Bible class when you're a kid, the answer is Jesus, you know, it's like, <laughs> he's what it yeah. looks like. That's yeah. the goal. Image yeah. of Christ, likeness of Christ, mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. Until Christ is formed in you, he's in the childbirth labor pains, right? It's like, man, we're trying to be like Jesus through the transformational work of the Holy Spirit, through our compliance, our surrender, submission, our willingness to follow and obey and be shaped. It's like, wow, we got a lot, a lot of growing to do. You know, we got, like you said, we hadn't arrived. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that point that you bring up, the competency piece is not, it is primarily in men because of our, our dynamic, but it. It, it also bleeds into what we believe disciple making is in the church. We, we've, we've created this type basically that you have to be extremely competent to teach it. You have to be extremely proficient, articulate in order to even share it. And, and the text, you know, tells us otherwise, you know, when, when, when God, gives the law and, and he tells us in, in, in Deuteronomy, he's like, I want parents, I want you to teach this to your kids as they're leaving, when they get up, when they lay down and all this. Like the expectation was for the average Joe parent to be able to share this with their kids, not Bible scholar, you know, uh, not MDiv level, just mm-hmm. share mm-hmm. this little bit with your kid. Every parent should be able to. Which then goes into, well, if every parent should be able to do this, then every Christian can share it. But again, we've placed it not that everybody can just share the little piece. It's, well, you got to be able to answer the question of how do you deal with it? No, I can't do that. So we just leave that to a a preacher or an elder, a deacon to do that. Oh, man. That's so rich. Uh, You know, in the 1800s, they prior to 1900, they, they, they were taking the New Testament Greek and they were holding it up against classical Greek and they were going, this is not the same Greek. And this is not Homer. This is different. And they were like, what is this different kind of Greek? And the, the conclusion that they reached was this is, must be because the Holy Spirit inspired it. It sounds different. It's a different construction than classical Greek. And then Adolf Diesman, I'm blanking on the name of the book, but it was like 1890 or something. He wrote a book where they had gone to the rubbish piles of Egypt, where all these, this papyrus manuscripts had been preserved in the, in the dryness there. And they had gone through the trash of the ancient people and they found their trash. And guess what they found? New Testament constructed Greek. And this is Koine Greek, common Greek, everyday person Greek. It's not that the Holy Spirit inspired them to speak differently. They were speaking as they spoke and write, write as they wrote in their day which was every man Greek, every woman Greek, common Greek, right? Yeah. Like the good news was shared in like, like the language of the marketplace, like the common man, like is how the new, there is some complicated New Testament Greek, but for the, I mean, it was like, this is the everyday, every person stuff. Like we should all 
be able to share the basics. But like you said, people get hung up on, well, I won't know the answer to that question. I can't say anything. I, I sure shouldn't talk to my neighbor because what if it's like, man, what if the Holy Spirit helped you? Like, yeah. What if yeah. you said, I don't know. Do, do you notice how Jesus picks just 12 ordinary, yes. unlearned men? And they're just going like this. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the beauty of it. But, but we, even, yeah. you know, even in our, you know, how we look at them, we look at them on this heightened level of how oh, they must have been. So no, these were guys that almost every time the question was asked, they go back to Jesus and yeah. like, hey, what? But how do we deal with, hey, I just, even when he sends them out, they come back. Lord, we saw, we saw, and we were able to do it. He's like, yeah. And you'll be able to do even greater stuff, right? This is average, ordinary guys. And so that's where, you know, things like, and we we know the tools, we know the strategies, but, but understand why, you know, that's why things like small groups, it's because we, we take it out of some of our formal constructs. And we bring it back down to ordinary, daily, house to house, people looking at each other's faces. But here we go. People who are walking in this journey together. We all are learning to follow and following to learn. And that's awesome. I love that. Man, Acts, Acts 4, right? One thing I love about Acts 4, one reason I think the Pharisees hated Jesus was because he used, used ordinary people. Mm-hmm. And then, so in Acts 4, they're before the Sanhedrin, you know, they healed the guy and then Peter and John. And then they're like, these are unschooled, ordinary people. And, but what they say is they say, they say, these are Galileans. Okay. Yep. Peter and John didn't say they were Galileans. You know how they knew they were Galileans? I think because they had an accent. Yep. Yep. These are hillbillies, <laughs> you know, these are country boys or whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Right, you know, they, right. they sound Galilean. like hicks. Yeah. Or whatever. You know, I mean, I don't right. think it sound like sacrilegious or but like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> these are not educated people, but man, you can't deny what God's doing. Right. Right. And that's, that's the dynamic. And that's, that's where like for them and even for me, when God does what he does, it's shocking to all parties involved. You know, here I am, yeah. and 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 you know, the 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 thing that really encourages me is that when I look back over my life, God loved me enough to understand. Okay, you don't have your earthly father here. You know, I'll give you a stepfather, but mm-hmm. here's I'm going to give you a spiritual father mm-hmm. that's going to help you to learn this dynamic that that you're going to walk through that will mean something to you on so many different levels. And then I'm going to encourage you because I know you're trying to do the best you can. I'm going to encourage you to know it's not as complicated as you think. It's, it's not a five point or seven point discipleship strategy. It's, Hey, just, just do what you've been doing with Chris and, and do that with other people that you encounter. One of the things that, that, that has also shifted in me is just a few little things that uh, are, are simple habits that I think we all can adopt, but that will help to open us. One of the things I do when I think about someone, I may call them, I may text them. One of the things that I'm, I'm trying to get out of is, 
you know what, Matt, I almost called you the other day or I almost, you know, no, let me call him. Who knows? You know, you could be in trouble. You could need something, but it could also be because of how God works, the spirit prompting me yes. to reach out to you in a moment where you're saying to yourself deep down, nobody thinks about me, you know, and here's a phone call. I look at, I look at Elijah. He tells King Ahab, God tells him, you know, it's not going to rain. He tells Ahab, it's not going to rain. And God says, go down to the brook and the ravens will feed you. I've already talked to the birds, right? God is telling him, I've already arranged in past tense for your arrival in the future, but he's telling him now, past, present, mm -hmm. future, in the same mm -hmm. tense. Mm -hmm. When he gets there, here come the ravens. What does that mean? God doesn't direct us anywhere that he hasn't already prepared. Next iteration of it. He says, go down to Zarephath. You'll find a widow woman there gathering sticks. She'll take care of you. He gets there. He sees this woman gathering sticks. Now, why is she gathering sticks? On the complete different page of this whole story, she's at the end of her rope of life. She's desperate, destitute, depressed. I'm ready to give it up. God brings that together because Elijah just did what he told him to do. And it was in that meeting that you now see sometimes just being obedient to the Spirit's prompting. God is involving you in a plan that he's been putting together for days, weeks, months, right? Mm -hmm. You just have to say yes. So it's, 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 you know, those, you know, just one moment. Let me think about it. And let me move. And the other thing is when God presents an opportunity to just say yes without all the qualifiers, you know how we can do that sometimes. We'll start to, well, why did he ask me? And well, why did they put me on? And why do I have to? Why? No, just say yes, just do it. And, and it is in your doing, in your going, that God begins to reveal here is what this was all about. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so as that, how that works in discipleship, you know, you see that person at the gym that you always talk to, you know, you probably don't know their name, but you'll wave at that guy. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? God is moving here. <laughs> There's that person, right? Uh, or even that person. Sometimes we think about discipling as just those who are unchurched, but there are so many people who have been churched but don't understand what being a disciple is. So it is that person that you're, you know, on the pew with. That, hey, we need. Did you hear what that message said? You know, let's talk about that. Let's think about that. Let's try to live that out. Those small steps that are leading to what God is doing in His big. Plan. Yeah. I have an example where I told God, no, that didn't work out real well. So mm. I had this person who kept coming to mind and it was like this, this, their name kept coming to mind. And I kept saying, God, I've already invited them to church. They know I'm, they know, they know I'm here. Like I've asked them several times, what else do you want? And their name kept coming to mind. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what else I'd say. What I didn't know was, was at that time. When his, when that person's name was so strongly on my mind that their daughter, adult daughter was having her boyfriend sneak in the house and stay in the house. Mm -hmm. And the dad got really mad and pulled out a gun and tried to, try to kill him. 
and took some shots at him, shot inside the house. The guy drove off, shot up his car. And I realized like, if I had just gone over there and had a conversation, maybe that could have been diffused, you know, now he's going to end up in jail probably or something. I'm like, oh man, like why I feel so bad. Like, and I know I, I'm not guilty of what he did. But it tuned me in strong, more strongly to like pay attention. When you get the prompting, you ha- you need to make a move. You have to take some action. Don't yes make excuses. Don't and see my the thing I did that was that was messed up was I assumed I knew because I've already invited him to church. What else is there? Right. I made an excuse really is what I did. Right. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And that so anyway, there's an illustration of like complete mm-hmm. mess up. I mean, like I felt so bad. So that, that's attuned me a little better to be, like, be more proactive with this thing because mm-hmm. it really matters. Like you may not know what's going on. Just take the action like you're saying. God loves us all so much that, that he's thinking on so many different levels. And it's, it's the frailty of our humanity. It's the smallness of our minds that we try to outthink God. Like mm-hmm. you, you can't outthink somebody who knows everything. So he he knows, you know, their whole life history. He knows all the hurts and hangups. I mean, he's he's he understands where they're going, where they're been, all of that. And he's asking you, he's inviting you is probably a better way. He's inviting you to be a part of his plan. And 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 sometimes your involvement. And I don't want us to, as we, you know, we can sometimes think more highly. He doesn't need any of us. Now he can do whatever without us, but he's, it's, that's why I say it's an invitation. You remember when he calls Moses and they get to arguing about, well, God, I can't use my mouth and who made your mouth and all of this. And finally, Moses says, y'all go. And then he hadn't circumcised his son, chapter four. And, and, and God says, I'll kill you. Like, I don't need you. <laughs> No, uh, but 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 the point is like what I've got for Egypt and what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do. But I want you because I love you to be a part of this. Little does Moses know, Moses, your entire background I've been using for this moment. A Hebrew born in Egypt, raised with Egypt. You've got you've got Hebrew and Egypt all mixed in you. So who better to be able to be a mediator? between mm-hmm. these people and talk like he god is doing yeah. all of this and yeah. you're tangled up over your tongue yeah. come on man <laughs> now let's take that Mo- moses and pharaoh's household moses in the wilderness moses comes back to pharaoh's household now shaped and informed by god now let's take is a is an ordinary guy in a sense hebrew baby should have been dead mm-hmm. Let, let's take that and translate that to the congregation where now we have all these people who who know how to work in the marketplace. They know how to work amongst non-Christians, non-disciples, uh, but they need to learn discipleship. They need to learn this gospel language and how to transmit it in a way that they don't have to say, I have to be like the preacher to say it. Mm-hmm. You know, these simple acts of obedience, the simple reading of the text, trying to do what he said, trying to follow along, praise him when he, it's like, if, if, if we as churches can equip the people who are already in the marketplace mm-hmm. to have that conversation, oh my goodness, sky's the limit, you know, right. as far as the, the kingdom potentiality. I love that. I you know? love that. 
I love that you have you have helped me again. That's that's beautiful. Who better to do it though than those of us who were born with born as spirit, but in the flesh, Moses born as mm-hmm. Hebrew, but wrapped in Egypt, so to speak. Yeah. To go back now that Excellent. we have been confirmed in the spirit. So that was what Moses had to do. That was the whole fight, you know, with with Moses. When he sees the Egyptian and the Hebrew fighting, it's symbolic of what he's going through. There's a Mm -hmm. Hebrew and an Egyptian fighting, Mm -hmm. and he had to kill one of them Mm -hmm. to stop the fighting. And we, we're talking analogies here, right? We had to kill one of us in order to stop the fighting. We died to flesh to live in the spirit. So can I, I want to flip the script real quick and we're going to flip. So what if the business person in your church, the, the, the laborer in your church, whoever it is, the dentist, the garbage man, the, the labor, whatever, what if they discipled the ministers in the marketplace? Mm. What if, what if they taught the ministers Egyptian? Gotcha. The Hebrews, you know what I mean? Yeah, so that, yeah. Because yeah. we're also, we're in that bubble. Right. And we're trying to translate into the marketplace people I discipleship, but they, they also need to translate into us marketplace, some marketplace discipleship, because we're trying to communicate a message from our perspective where we've had some insulation from that world mm-hmm. and we need to help each other to understand yeah. how to communicate yeah. that, right? You know that, and, and I, I like what you're doing. I like that. Because well, you said, come with me places, yeah, come with me to the hospital right. as you go. But what if, what if they said to us, come with me to my work, mm-hmm. you walk with me for a day, you see what I do. You see yeah. the, the, the discipleship parallel. Oh, no, no, I, that's, yeah. that's where I'm headed. I, I'm, I'm yeah. loving that because here's the thing for many of us, you use the term bubble. For many of us, that's been our church experience. We, we have so used come out from among them <laughs> to create right. the bubble that now once I've made it into the church, I'm done with the world and any semblance of it. Like that's just it. We cut ourselves off from that when actually the thing we were cutting off was, you know, the encapsulation of the flesh. We're, we're really just now entering into this realm. Okay, I got it, God. And now I go back to that same space. That's Jesus going over to the other side. You know, now we're back over here and we're listening. And I think that's one of the things that sometimes makes it difficult because we're going with the competency piece. We know all there is to know. We got it all. And we're getting ready to tell you guys when I do need to have the humility to listen, those people may be like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius had a whole experience and he's, and God was working with him and, and, and with Peter. So we've got to have that humility to, hey, you know, they may have something to say. Let me, let me hear, let me, ex- and, and not be so professorial. Yeah. And that uh, last thought for me, and I would love to hear if you have any last thoughts to kind of wrap up. You know, Acts 16, I missed it my whole life. I missed the whole thing. The Holy Spirit, God, it says, but I think it's saying the Holy Spirit opened Lydia's heart to Paul's message. 
like the ravens, like the widow, yeah, Elijah. Yeah. That's the New Testament, right? Like mm-hmm. on, the, on the other side is like he he sent the vision of the man from Macedonia to tell him to go, and then he opens up Lydia's heart on the other end to be that person of peace to get Paul into Philippi and mm-hmm. open up doors for the gospel that mm-hmm. was already prepared. But the Holy Spirit and God through the Spirit interacted and interceded and opened, you know, that way. But Paul had to walk. Paul mm-hmm. Paul had to take where he thought he was supposed to go and change his plan. Mm-hmm. And it feels to me like that's a little bit of our shift in our churches a bit for some churches is like, maybe we need to look like a little bit of a shift to say, you know, we thought we were called like this, this bubble mentality, but maybe the actual call is to dual discipleship between the marketplace and the good news of the gospel and the ministerial staff of the church to come together in a collaborative fashion to inform mm-hmm. each other of how to communicate these things and encourage each other. So the marketplace people say, hey, come shadow me for a day. And you're like, hey, come shadow me for a day. And you learn the conversations they're having and they see how to talk to someone in a hospital bed and everybody's learning each other's skills. And now, man, we're all so much better for it yes. and effective, right? I just think, I think Paul was onto something when he was making those tents instead of just being on the street corner all day, you know, saying the good, he was, he was, you know, he had a foot in both worlds and he knew how to sure. translate that message, you know? Right, right, right. We we do need to be, and that's, that's why I keep speaking more so of a journey dynamic. Yes. And, and we, you know, for most of us, we've come up in a mindset that baptism is like the end game. You know, we got them now and we're done. Um, but it's really a journey. Um, it's a following. It's a constant following. Uh, one of the last things I'll share is um, the, the, the shift that it made in my mind is I still want Christians. I still want to baptize you. I, that's a backdrop. But if I teach you just the ways of the church, what ends up happening, and I've seen this in experience, I'm almost having to beg you to do everything that Jesus is doing, right? I'm having to beg you to come visit. I'm having to beg you to come do this, go do that. But if I teach you to follow Christ, you'll follow him wherever he goes. So now I'm not begging because... If Jesus goes to the marketplace, I'm following them there. If he goes to the nursing home, I'm following him there. If he goes, I'll follow. And that's the the message of discipleship. Amen. Follow Jesus. Thank you, Anthony. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the episode today, everybody. If you are interested in becoming a disciple maker, but you don't really know where to start, check out the link in the show notes. We've got an ebook called Becoming a Disciple Maker, and that is the best place for you to start. Also, if you'd like to take an individual disciple maker assessment to just kind of see where you're at, please click this link in the show notes as well. We've got a disciple maker assessment that you can take on discipleship.org. Up next, we're going to be hearing from Renee Sproles, and she's going to be talking about her journey of discipleship. So you're not going to want to miss that. Please hit the subscribe button before you leave this episode so that you know each time we release brand new episodes. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that you enjoy the rest of this wonderful day. We'll see you.